This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Mark it down, Sunday, April 10th. It's the 34th Annual All-Star Labor Classic, presented by Philadelphia's Organized Labor and featuring the best of the best, high school girls and high school boys in a city versus suburban showdown. It's the All-Star Labor Classic, a Philadelphia tradition, showcasing the very best high school girls and boys basketball players from the entire Delaware Valley. That's Sunday, April 10th, starting at noon. The live games will be played at Ridley High School. Now, on Talk Radio Saturday night, and we welcome everyone into the Labor Show here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT on this uh, snowy, cold, uh, dangerous day. If you're driving on the road, we uh, hope everyone continues to stay safe as you make your way around the Delaware Valley. Jay Doc joining me uh, remotely tonight because of that weather. Um, Jay Doc, we've got a great action packed. Very important, hour number one and hour number two uh, tonight, sir. No question about it, Joe. We absolutely do. Uh, and certainly um, we're going to talk about a shopping, a, a shocking situation uh, going on with our dispatchers. Uh, those dispatchers that answer 911 calls for the fire and the police uh, with our first guest. And then, of course, we're going to uh, have a, a Wendell Young on who's also going to be talking about another very, very serious situation, although not surprising. Uh, one, it'll sound familiar to, to, to our listeners, but one that, once again, we find ourselves confronting. So, yeah, we have a fantastic show uh, in our one for, for sure. Yeah, let's jump right into it. And, of course, the talk of the weather and, um, you know, and everything else around us leads to uh, increased need and increased traffic uh, for uh, those 911 uh, operators. Darnell Davis, who's the business agent for Ask Me DC, Ask Me DC 33 Local 1637, uh, is going to join us to kick us off here on the Labor Show uh, with J. Doc and Krause. Darnell, thanks for jumping on, man, on a busy Saturday night for you, I'm sure. Um, appreciate you coming on with J. Doc and Krause. Yes. Hey, how you doing, Krause and, and Jay? Uh, I'm I'm glad to be here. Uh, it, it's certainly uh, we're glad to have you. And uh, you you represent you represent the, not only the parking authority but the dispatchers that handle our nine one one emergency call. Uh, and there's a very serious situation going on right now that, in fact, is a, a serious danger to public safety. If if you would talk about that. Because it was shocking when you and I discussed it, and certainly um, something needs to be done about it. Oh, yes, Joe. Um, the police dispatchers are in a crisis where they need to hire many dispatchers, not only the police dispatchers, the fire dispatchers, who I also represent. Uh, they, there's a problem with hire, the hiring process in the city. Uh, the police dispatchers right now are 72 members. 
72 employees down. Uh, the fire dispatchers are about 15 to 20 dispatchers down, uh, which is calling a lot of, a lot of labor shortages and a, a lot of problems with calls being answered in an orderly fashion. Uh, and we are, we are in a constant battle with the city of Philadelphia, with the police department to get these people hired, get these people trained correctly and get them answering these phones so that when you are in need and when you are, you do need nine one one's help, you can have them come to you in an expedient manner. Uh, what, what's the situation? How come they're not hiring uh, enough dispatchers? Well, of course, you know, the number one reason is COVID. Um, COVID um, set them back. But um, more importantly, um, this problem has been going on. The union saw this problem going on six years ago. And the union has been rallying for uh, about 325 dispatches for six years ago. Frank Halber was the president at that time. And he met with city council. He met with um, leadership in the city and met with the police department about getting the numbers. At that time, six years, six years ago, the numbers were at 245. And we were trying to get the numbers to 325. It just took this year for the city to agree to get that number, not only to 325, to 353. And right now they at 272. And, it, and with labor shortages and with COVID, you know, take call the room is so close, closed in, many members, one person get COVID, that knocks out three or four. Um, and they have to, you know, they have to go short. So if you had 353 or 325, like we said six years ago, um, this this problem probably wouldn't be be that bad at this moment. Darnell Davis joining us here on the Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause. Darnell, I want to make sure that the listening audience can wrap their arms around the scenario and the situation. I personally think it is the most difficult job that an individual can have to be on the answering end of an emergency call, multiple calls in within multiple minutes and be able to maintain composure, react quickly um, with life or someone's life on the line. Um, so when you say um, that or you describe the shortage that's a big number. That's a lot of people um, to be short on a daily basis. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. it's a problem. And you're right. Our dispatchers have to deal with a lot. That fire, um, that in a fair amount that happened a few weeks ago, um, our dispatchers had to handle that. Our fire dispatchers, and uh, it's hard work. Uh, it's grueling. Um, there, you know, a lot of times there's no counseling after it. Um, dispatchers have to a lot of times deal with that on their own. Because when they hang up on one call, they have to they have to pick up another call, um, and it's a problem. Um, and what I mean, the police department um, and the fire department they both want to bring in firefighters and police officers. But police department has been bringing in police officers to answer the calls, which we don't agree with because these police officers are not trained like our dispatchers are. They they don't they're coming in on overtime, spending wasting the city's money when they need to just hire more dispatchers who are highly trained and can get them calls out in the correct manner where police officers and firefighters can't. Darnell, has yeah, the, J, J. Doc, hold your thought. And then you can, I just, just a quick follow-up to Darnell. Sure. Um, is the city proactively 
endorsing the the hiring of more operators? When you say proactively, I don't think that they're doing enough. Um, they put a test out in August, but they haven't sent. Um, last I heard from the police brass, uh, Dennis Wilson, that the, uh, they are not getting list names off the list from from August. Uh, I know they, they want to do a class of 36 and then do another class of 36 to get these people there. But I think last I talked to them, they got a, a name, four names off the list for this next class. And, and, and what's interesting is one, one of the things that, that, that I, the first thing I thought of was the stress that the, that the 911 operators must go through is, must be off the charts. Like you mentioned, the terrible Fairmount uh, fire, um, those situations where somebody's breaking in somebody's house and you're answering. Yeah. And I, I never really even thought about it, but then they have to answer another call. Like They'll dispatch yes. that call. And then all of a sudden, like that one just didn't happen. Now you have to go on to another call. Is this shortage taking an already stressed out situation and, and, and putting it in overdrive? And then you bring in the firemen and the, and the police who are already stressed out on their own jobs and throw this on, on, on top. It sounds like a, a recipe for disaster. Yes, yes. And people are leaving this job to find other jobs that are less stressful. People are leaving to, um, they're going to school and getting promoted into other positions because they, there's no promotion for these jobs here. I mean, you sign up for a dispatcher, you're a dispatcher for 25, 30 years. There's no promotion in the police department and the fire department. There's one level of promotion, but, uh, most of the supervision are police officer or firefighters. Um, or the supervision over these guys. So, and when a new police sergeant or corporal come in, they don't know what how long these people been doing this job, and they don't know this job. But all they know is that I'm in charge and do it the way I tell you, which is may not be the best way for the city of Philadelphia. You have a a, a situation obviously that's out of control there. What is the impact? Talk about the. Uh, what what the dispatchers right now, the 911 dispatchers are actually going through in regards to having to do extra work in an already incredibly stressed out situation. Well, well, their dispatchers they feel like they unappreciated. They feel like they um, they are being taken advantage of and they are unappreciated. They are mandated at a rapid rate. Um, they are mandated to work. They work eight hours and an uh, hour before their shift, they tell them they have to do another four. I mean, they have families they have to go home to, you know, with COVID and, you know, you got kids at home, you have to take care of that, but you have to, you're forced to work. And that's been happening to these dispatchers. And the police will say, well, that's why we got to bring cops in there. No, you have to hire. And my, I've been arguing that you have to hire. The, the union has not only just been telling them they hire, but we've been offering other ideas. We've been offering um, the idea of moving their schedule around to go to the police schedule. Um, the city agreed with us at one point to do that, but then all of a sudden they backed out of it. If you do that, you have more dispatchers putting these dispatchers on a police schedule. You have more dispatchers assigned to each position on any given day and more people there to do that job and answer them calls where you don't need firemen. You don't need police officers doing district council 33 employees work. Darnell Davis joining us here. Darnell Davis joining us here on the labor show. Uh, Darnell, I agree with you. Uh, something needs to be done, and it's not one of those uh, solutions um, 
that can't come quick enough because the next phone call could right. be the phone call um, that is tragic. Because and, of and, the and Joe, I want to know, since we, I know we're up against the break, but yeah, real 30 quick, seconds, Donald, what, can our listeners, what can our listeners do? Um, because, of course, our lives and our families are on the line, okay? And this impacts everybody. That's a fact. There's public safety at risk here. What can our listeners and, of course, our union members listening? And, of course, you know, being a union, obviously, that's ridiculous. But the point is, what can they do to, to, to help this situation? Can they call City Hall? I mean, before yes. the loved ones that get impacted. Yes, yes. I would I would suggest that every listener call their councilman, call their city councilman. We've had help with some city councilman, uh, Councilman Gim. Isaiah Thomas has recently came on board with trying to help us, and I appreciate all their help. But if they're getting called from their constituents about this problem, um, maybe they'll move a little quicker. We're getting this hiring process shorter so we can get more dispatchers into this city. Darnell Davis joining us here tonight on the Labor Show, kicking us off on a, uh, a topic, uh, J-Doc, that is urgent, urgent, uh, important. Darnell, thank you so much, man, and thank you to all uh, of your members. Uh, thank those you, working the Those working the 911 lines right now uh, into a dark, cold Saturday night, uh, and all of your workers. Darnell, thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right, thank you, though. Thank you, Krause. All right, good stuff from Darnell Davis. Joining us, Jay Doc. We'll get to our first commercial break here on The Labor Show here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. We've got another issue to talk about uh, on the other side. Wendell Young, president UFCW 1776, uh, is going to join us. If you're an avid listener to Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, perhaps you heard Wendell uh, um, on the Dom Giordano show earlier uh, this week. We'll get into that discussion with Wendell Young after the break. Tonight's edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by IBEW Local 98 North, UFCW Local 1776, Sheet Metal Workers Local 19, and the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, DC 21. This whole nonsense about not giving workers the right to organize with so-called right to work, that's bad. Something like that comes to my desk, I'll be to it, not just because I'm a Democrat, not just because I'm pro-labor, but because I know for a fact that's not very smart. And back here live on a Saturday night here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, this is The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause. J. Doc, boy, listening to uh, Darnell Davis uh, kick us off here uh, on a Saturday night, and you know how I often talk about theater of the mind. Radio is a great avenue for theater of the mi- theater of the mind. Uh, if you're listening to the show, imagine what it's like right now uh, in the 911 dispatch room, where those workers are fielding calls quicker than we're speaking. J Doc. Yeah, no, it's only life and death on the line. You know why not? Why not go shorthanded? You know, and, and, and it's amazing. If people are listening to this labor show, they would have pictured two things. Uh, we're talking about 911 uh, operators and dispatchers, life and death, and now we're going to transition into livelihoods. And I'm ecstatic to bring into the program uh, Wendell Young, president, uh, UFCW 1776. How are you, Wendell? 
Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Okay, so here we go again, Wendell. It seems like there's always some Republican legislator dying to lay 5,000 people off and take $150 million uh, of revenues uh, out, of, out of our state, uh, you know, kids, okay? And here we go again. It seems like we visit this topic every couple of years. When is it going to stop? Well, well, uh, Joe, the, the topic itself is like a vampire. It just keeps uh, coming back at us. Um, it, but it, the numbers are really um, larger than what you just said. Um, the, the total contribution from the liquor stores to the state of Pennsylvania is about $820 million the last fiscal year. And since it mm-hmm. is a very reliable source of income that goes up every year, It'll be even more so. Now, it, it, that contribution is made up of a whole lot of different components, and those who want to get rid of the system say, well, you know, the profit's not that much, or they even claim that it's not profitable. Now, let me be clear. The system pays 100% of its expenses, all overhead, including all employee costs, including pension, uh, current and long-term pension obligations. There's not one penny of taxpayer money appropriated from the state to run the state liquor system. It's about the only part of government that not only pays for itself, but returns almost a billion dollars. And I would argue it's over a billion dollars back because those, um, when I say uh, 820 million goes back to the state of Pennsylvania, that does not include the multiplier effect of the nearly 6,000 employees that work for the PLCB. Uh, most of them are UFCW. Um, there's about 500 Teamsters, uh, and there's the non-represented uh, management, supervisory, and, and executives. Um, and then, under contract with private companies, there's the warehouses that employ about another thousand people, all almost all of whom are Teamsters here in Pennsylvania. There's a big warehouse in the west, big one in the east. All Teamsters and the drivers that deliver are all Teamsters. And then. This is one of the best union employers there is anywhere because all of their construction and renovations is done by the building trades, the unionized building trades right here in Pennsylvania. Oh, but wait, there's more. We have more selection than not only our border states, but any other, any other system in the country. The, the catalog of products available through the system um, is, is close to 60,000 items. There's nowhere else. In this country, you get that kind of selection. And our prices are better than about 44 other states on wine and spirits on regular pricing. Um, And uh, so when you look at it from the perspective of jobs, the multiplier effect those jobs have for our communities in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the revenue that comes into the state of Pennsylvania, the selection and the pricing, I don't know. The only reason this keeps coming back is because the people who will profit from privatization pay a lot in mm-hmm. campaign contributions. Now, Wendell, real quick, uh, let's explain to our listeners exactly if, you know, who, the, who may not be uh, familiar with what's going on. Uh, talk about this, law, this lawmaker who proposed a comp, uh, constitutional amendment to, pri- to recently privatize the liquor stores because they may not understand what we're, what, you know, what we're relating those facts and that information to. So an Allegheny Republican who um, was entirely funded for her election, uh, almost entirely funded for her election, 
by Representative Terzai, the former speaker and former leader of the House, who spearheaded privatization over the last um, 12 years. Um, yeah. th- this is this is his hand-picked person to run, to be the water boy for um, liquor privatization. And in this case, since they failed to be able to, to do this through the legislative process, I mean, let's, let's not forget that uh, Representative Terzai started this when he had a Republican governor who was in favor of privatization, and both chambers of the legislature controlled by Republicans, and they could not get it through the process. Because when you go through the four issues I laid out before, once this gets under the bright light and scrutiny of hearings, you know, people in that legislature and people in the community start to realize this is not a good idea to dismantle the system um, that, that works so well for all Pennsylvanians, whether they drink or not. So what Representative Mahalik the latest um, a water boy for uh, privatization um, it wants to do is forget that whole process. Let's not have a vetting. Let's not have it put out the scrutiny what the plan is. In fact, let's not have a plan at all. Um, what, what the primary sponsor, Representative Mahalik, wants to do is just have a constitutional amendment. Now, this is problematic. We all saw what happened with the constitutional amendment process to limit the governor's authority. Well, whether you agree with that or not, I don't. But whether anybody agrees with that or not, that is the kind of thing that our Constitution contemplated when it provided this voter referendum process on how to govern. Um, you know, how big is our legislature going to be? What kind of governance structure? What are the uh, powers of the legislature? What are the powers of the governor? That is what that amendment process is for. Our, uh, we are not a referendum state. We are not a ballot initiative state. And to use the constitutional amendment process to get legislation through that you're unable to get through on its own merits through the legislature is a, is not what our constitution contemplated when it created this kind of voter referendum. Um, so the PLCB has been created by legislation 88 years ago. All changes to how it operates has been done through the legislative uh, process. Every Every all the authority of of, um, of the the PLCB, uh, its creation and how it runs is all uh, uh, under the jurisdiction of the legislature. And and what Representative Halleck's doing is giving people a false choice. This is not a, a choice. Um, when, when you're telling the voters two sentences, less than 22 words, um, without any plan, without any details, you're not giving them a choice. You're not given a choice between the current system and a replacement system because you're hiding from them what the replacement system is. Now, uh, we know a, a lot of problems out of every other proposal ever presented to replace the current system, including the ones that her, um, that her sponsor, uh, Mike, Mike Terzai, Representative Terzai, former Representative Terzai, uh, has put forward. We know some of the things it's going to do. It's going to mean less revenue for Pennsylvania. It's going to be an elimination of thousands of jobs. It's going to mean tax increases. It's going to mean price increases on wine spirits. And it's going to, and, and those price increases for everybody. It's not just the consumers. It's for the bars, the restaurants, the hotels, which will ultimately pass on to the consumers. Um, it's going to be more harms um, because of the inundation of liquor and the availability of it and less uh, and better control of it. And there's a cost to our criminal justice system and people's health and lives to come with that. Um, and, and, and what Representative Mahalik is doing is going to defund the police. So I think about your call earlier and the, the problems in staffing a 911. I know it's not police, but it's, it's, a, it's something that helps the law enforcement system. Um, these are the kinds of things that get cut when you do this. And specifically in this case, the PLCB out of its revenue 
sends about $30 million. It goes up a little every year. $30 million to help the state police with liquor enforcement. So that's going to be cut. And that's a, a defunding of the police here in Pennsylvania. And there's no, there's no proposal from Representative Mahalik to replace that money at all. And so for those communities that already have nuisance bars and nuisance, nuisance beer shops, um, you know, you can add to it nuisance liquor stores, and there will not be enough money to enforce uh, it because enforcement is going to cost more in privatization. Their goal is to, to double, triple, quadruple the amount of outlets you can buy wine and spirits throughout Pennsylvania, which means you need a larger budget for the state police, not a smaller one. Wendell Young joining us here, the president of UFCW 1776. Wendell, you know, I always try and process everything from the perspective of common sense. And when I listen to you explain the magnitude of each category and the negative effect that it will have, it is mind-boggling to me that we're even having this conversation. I don't get it at all. Joe, it's impossible to distill this down into 22 words on a ballot. Uh, this is a vastly complex organization. If you, were to, if you were to look back at the hearings that took place in 2011 and, and all the way through 2015 on the two efforts by Representative Terzai to get um, um, those two House bills through two different House bills during those years. I mean, hours and hours and hours were consumed on just segments of this argument. Like, let's talk pricing because, um, you know, this is a labor show and jobs are very important. But, you know, one of the things they say to the general public is, oh, you know, the prices are going to be so much better. Well, that's not the case in other states. And if you look at the other states that had systems like ours and similar, similar operations to the PLCB and, and privatized, you would have to study Iowa, West Virginia, uh, more recently, uh, Washington State in 2011 was their conversion. In every case, the consumers lost and the taxpayers lost. You remember, majority of taxpayers don't drink regularly. Most, most Pennsylvanians um, uh, consume out, uh, beer in, in a much larger quantity than they do wine and or spirits, and about 35% of them drink on a moderate uh, to occasional basis. It's only about twenty uh, percent uh, of Pennsylvanians that drink on a regular basis wine and spirits, and they're going to get hosed with prices. But every taxpayer is going to get hosed with taxes. That's what happened in every one of those other states. And and you know Pennsylvania, despite the rhetoric about oh government can't do things right, they actually do it right here. They they if you look at our system, um, we use the leverage of a government run system where all the Purchasing, warehousing, distribution, and retailing are all under one entity, and the efficiency that comes with that, extremely efficient. So our total markup after acquisition price of wine and spirits from the producers um, is uh, 31%. I'm rounding to the nearest 1%, 31%, right? Around the country, that markup in a private system, because of the, the when you unbundle that system in the layers of distribution, warehousing, uh, retailing, you know, there's, there's three or four new layers you're adding. The total markup ends up being 60 uh, uh, percent uh, on average around the country. Um, most systems, it runs 50 
of 65%, some are as high as 75%. In Washington State, they did the same thing. Liquor, wine and spirit prices are now 12 to 30% higher, um, than, and, and they now have amongst the highest taxes on wine and spirits in the nation and amongst the highest prices. How could that be good for the consumers? And the state, who used to reliably, just like Pennsylvania, take in more revenue by about 4 to 6% every year, that doesn't happen now because the way they, had, they changed the tax system um, to get privatization done there it guaranteed the state wouldn't lose money, but it lost that forever indefinite increase and exponential exponential growth of uh, of, uh, uh, of revenues uh, through the system, and and that's what's going to happen here, and that's why they're not telling you what they're going to replace it with. Um, and then think about this: you know, I bargain for a contract. This is what I do. I, I bargain union contracts. Uh, it's, it's, it's a line share of what we do. We bargain insurance contracts, you know, for our members, their health, various health care plans. It's bargain all the time. So think of the leverage dynamic. If you were to have the voters without knowing what the replacement plan is going to be, vote for, for Representative Mihalik's constitutional amendment and says, yes, get rid of the system. From the time that vote's cast under this particular constitutional amendment, the legislature would have 18 months to come up with a replacement. In 88 years, they've not been able to come up with a replacement. Mm -hmm. 18 months. So if you're a licensee, if you're one of the many bars, hotels, restaurants, supermarkets, convenience stores, delicatessens with any kind of alcoholic beverage license, you're going to sit back and not come to the table with much to offer because at the last minute, politicians would be scrambling to let everybody sell everything, and then they're not going to want to put taxes on it that raise prices because they don't want customers to wake up 18 months and a day later to find out everything costs more money. It's going to be a mess. They lose all the leverage in negotiations with the distributors, the manufacturers, and the licensees who, who, um, who right now in every bill that's ever been put together – um, at least they came to the table trying to offer things to help make it work. Why would they do that? They just have to sit there and watch the clock tick down 18 months. Wendell Young joining us here on The Labor Show. We're going to take a commercial break. We're going to continue uh, the conversation uh, on the other side. I hope you're hearing the message from Wendell Young back in a moment. This edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by Sprinkler Fitters Local 692, Laborers District Council, Steam Fitters Local 420, and the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 542. We're going to try to work with Republicans in a bipartisan way to find solutions to what really is not working. We're going to try and cover a lot of ground here with Wendell Young in our last 10 minutes uh, that we have with Wendell here on The Labor Show. Wendell, uh, one la- one follow-up from your uh, last point before we went into the commercial break. I want to speak to the 80% of the public that does not frequent um, uh liquor stores, does not drink wine, uh, um, I want them to understand the ramifications and the fallout to them. So, Joe, what I always say is um, the, the 
Pennsylvania wine and spirit system works for all Pennsylvanians, whether they drink or not. And I just want to be clear about that, that number. Again, I'm rounding these statistics and they, they wobble a little bit of point here, point there year to year. But um, a majority of Pennsylvanians do not drink wine and spirits on a regular basis. Um, about 35, 37% uh, do drink occasionally, moderately, however you want to describe that. Mm-hmm. And it's really closer to about 20% who drink wine and or spirits on a regular basis. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and so it, it's, it's uh, important to understand, though, that the money that comes back to Pennsylvania through this system, the direct contributions from different pockets of the PLCB, uh, the transfer to the state treasury, the profit, uh, the, the, the licensing money to the local communities, uh, the taxes paid to local communities, all this really, uh, and these are all things that are different and unique than what would happen uh, under a private system uh, because of the way uh, Pennsylvania's system is required to spin off certain monies to, to the state and communities, uh, money for drug and alcohol uh, enforcement and education programs, money for the Pennsylvania State Police, grant money that helps um, um, a, a whole different array of folks within our community, uh, including the industry. You know, we have a a craft beer industry. We have these uh, uh, Pennsylvania in-state wineries, Pennsylvania in-state still distilleries. You know, quite a bit of money uh, flows from, uh, in form of grant money to help understand how to uh, safely and appropriately bolster and, and improve um, uh, the outcome for those industries, which are all job creators here in Pennsylvania. Um, and when you talk about selection, you know, there's no other place in the country that Pennsylvania... Uh, wineries and Pennsylvania distillers, I'm talking about, you know, which are mostly the smaller and medium-sized companies in this space, uh, get its fair shake because the PLCB prioritizes shelf space for them and display space. So you have Jacklin's right here in, in Philadelphia, um, the nation's, nation's oldest cordials distiller um, in the nation. In fact, I, I want to say here, they're launching a new product right now as we speak. It's going to be on the shelves in our Fine Wine and Good Spirits stores in February called uh, Union Forge. It's a vodka. You know, the, the vodka is distilled here in Pennsylvania. It's Teamsters members right here in Philadelphia that make that vodka. The rye that's being used to make this a unique vodka comes right from farms right here in Pennsylvania. So, um, you know, I'm really happy. Uh, I've been telling my members, look out for this. Come, let's get it on the shelves. Let's, let's make sure customers know it's there. Um, you know, that doesn't happen in other states. You know, Wendell, one of the things that is um, puzzling here, whenever something sounds, you know, you know, that not doesn't make sense and it's so ridiculous, I wonder, I think about motives. And uh, in an article that you were mentioned in, uh, a PA rep, uh, Dan Deasy, who's the, the senior Democrat on the House Liquor uh, Control Committee, um, called uh, Representative Mahalik's amendment reckless. Uh, because it does not spell out what replaces the wine and spirit store, stores. That's just one of a million things it doesn't mention. Um, I always wonder about motive. Okay, what is her expertise? Uh, it, it does make sense, though. It makes uh, a lot of sense that Terzai, Mike Terzai, uh, you know, is, is, is the individual that's supporting her because he tried so hard to put uh, 5,000 people out of, uh, you know, out of jobs um, for, for such a long time. So I get that. That that does make sense because I was wondering, but when I think about it in all reality, um, it, it doesn't make sense. 
There's so much that would be wrong about it. I wonder what a real motive is. You got what does it say? Well, I, I, says, I, I have my own. I have my own personal theory. I can't prove this, but you know, um, Harrisburg is one of those places that I think the old saying applies: "There's no secrets in the lodge." And some have theorized that, um, and maybe they ha- maybe, maybe maybe there's some truth to this. Maybe there's not, but some believe that she wants to um, run for higher office. And you know, if you look at her campaign finance reports, uh, Representative Halleck does not have a great deal of money to uh, launch a statewide campaign. Uh, or some other office out in, in Allegheny County. Um, yeah. And Representative Mahalik doesn't have much name recognition, and, and liquor's such a hot-button item that if you're the primary sponsor, that gets you instant name recognition, and it becomes yeah. a magnet for money from the interest that would make so much money off of the system. That, that's right. That's exactly what I'm saying. In other words, um, first of all, what is the legacy? Okay, costing the state that much money. Imagine the other programs, countless programs that would be lost, number one. Those revenues would go into some rich cat who now is who now will own, like, in other words, that $900 million or billion dollar, um, revenue stream now goes into some rich company or a bunch of rich, rich companies um, who will be now making that money, hiring the same, you know, hiring a lot of the same employees and other employees and paying them whatever the hell they want. That's number one. Probably not a living wage, completely controlling them and all those things. And now you have Representative Mahalik who wants to run for a higher office. And now um, we're, we're theorizing here. Like you said, we can't prove any of it. But theoretically speaking, there's a lot of support for her campaign at this point because now she just made, she just made some rich people way richer. So whenever I think so about Joe, stuff like this, I'm sorry, Wendy. Let's put it in terms. Uh, let's put it in terms that relate to her. Okay, as a legislator, and I said this to her in the hearing this past Monday. I doubt she would ever vote on a bill that has a bill number, a name, and one or two sentences that says what the bill's goal is, but doesn't say exactly what it's going to do. I doubt she would ever vote for a bill as a legislator. And let's say that bill is to reduce the size of the legislature. Okay, because a lot of Republicans like to get behind being in favor of reducing the size of the legislature to save taxpayers money. So so if that bill was was presented in the legislature or if it was put up as a constitutional amendment, but there was no plan on whose districts would be eliminated, I doubt that Representative Mihalik would support that. I doubt she would support it, whether it was a legislative initiative or constitutional amendment initiative without knowing the details because of her own self-interests. Well, I can tell you this, her, her reasoning, what she's saying is this, uh, the state shouldn't be in the liquor business. Well, we appreciate that state representative. Thanks for making that decision and, and telling us, by the way, alcohol, you know, it needs to be regulated for crying out loud. Okay. It's important. Uh, you, you know, prescription drugs are regulated by the federal government. Okay, um, these are serious. These, you know, this is not a, a not serious situation. Okay, but well, I really appreciate her making that decision on based on her opinion. And it, it, when it when it smells like a rat, it usually is. And it's it hit, and here we go again. I do want to thank you, Wendell, for always standing up. Uh, on this issue, not only protecting 
um, you know, obviously your membership and supporting them, but also all, all Pennsylvanians who stand to lose huge on this situation. That's, you know, that's and, my and the other unions and, and the other unions whose jobs, their members' jobs, count on this system who are not a burden on the taxpayer but actually contribute to a healthy bottom line for the tax, for the taxpayer. Wendell yep. Young, President UFCW 1776, joining us here live tonight uh, on the Labor Show. Um, if you missed any of it, go back and listen to it. As a matter of fact, even if you listened and consumed the content of our interview with Wendell tonight, go back and listen to it again. It's mind-blowing, uh, the amount of money at stake the jobs and the categories that will be affected um, based on one individual's opinion. Wendell, thanks a million, man, for coming on. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you, you, everybody. Be safe. Take care. Right Right back at you. Good stuff from Wendell Young, President UFCW 1776. J-Doc and I will take a short break. We'll be back on the other side to close out our number one. But we're just getting started. Hour number two, uh, coming up at 7 o'clock. Back in a moment. Tonight's edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by Ironworkers Local 401, Boilermakers Local 13, Plumbers Local 690, Roofers Local 30, and IBEW Local 98. Choose a Local 98 contractor. Back here live on hour number one of The Labor Show, Darnell Davis, Wendell Young, J-Doc. Um... Man, two strong conversations, uh, one with Darnell and then, of course, uh, one with Wendell Young. I could feel and I can hear, um, I don't know if it was passion or frustration, J-Doc, when um, you were going off a little bit uh, uh, in your dialogue or your last couple of minutes with uh, Wendell, but I share I share it with you, man. I don't I don't understand it. it, it again, I look I try and look at everything from a common sense standpoint. Boy, this doesn't make any sense at all. Well, you, you, you think about it, hundreds of millions of dollars that is going into the state economy. Okay, thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs. Okay, one individual says we don't want to be in a we shouldn't be in a liquor business. Okay. Let me say this. We're going to take those revenues and put it in some billionaire's pocket or several billionaires. Now, you know, <laughs> I don't know about you, but and, and, and that billionaire, then we go. One of the important things, especially about labor, is our living wage jobs. We fight. We unite together. Solidarity, collective bargaining. We work incredibly hard to maintain living wages. So you have something to lose. OK, one of the problems when you're dealing with billionaires who keep getting richer and richer is they're not paying living wages. That's why you cannot, when you go out today with the pandemic, a lot of these massive, um, you know, corporate entities and and these retailers, corporate retailers, they can't fill their jobs because nobody wants to go to work and risk their life for individuals making eight bucks an hour, nine, ten dollars an hour with no benefits. Okay, so we're going to take all of our revenues and we're going to give it to two or three or four billionaires let them control jobs, get a lot richer, lower wages, do all those things. And, uh, you know, now and now, you know, probably putting more people in public assistance. It's, 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 a, it's a disgrace of epic proportions. And when, like I said, if it smells like a rat, it's usually a rat. And this this issue won't go away. So, yeah, I'm a little picked about it. 
Hour number one of the Labor Show. Let's close up hour number one, Jay Doc, uh, with um, and circle back with uh, our opening conversation with Darnell Davis. Again, common oh, sense. Yeah. I try and look through the lens of common sense. You know, the, the hot spot every night in the city of Philadelphia is the room that houses the 911 operators who deal with life and death yeah. constantly. I, mean, I just Joe, don't understand why right. that would not have a priority over anything else. We, we, just, we just saw the, one of the biggest disasters, one of the biggest disasters and loss of life in residential uh, home history here in Philadelphia, okay? Lost 12 individuals, okay? Now, uh, our, our, our system worked fine. They got there on time. But imagine uh, if we didn't have uh, a 911 system to, 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 to be able to do that. There'd be more situations like that. And it's a life and death situation, okay? We have thousands and thousands. None of us are naive. We don't think money grows on trees or, or anything like that. But we employ thousands of people, okay? Thousands, um, you know, thousands of individuals in the city. We cannot, we cannot chance on our 911 operators. These people are in the trenches, like during COVID, all those things. They're stressed as it is. And we're going to take rank and file firemen and police who are already stressed uh, and, and put them in, 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 a, in an even bigger pressure cooker. It's a, an absolute disaster waiting to happen. And if you're listening to this call, okay, it could be you or your family who, who calls. Somebody's having a heart attack. Somebody's breaking in your home. There's a fire, all those things, where nobody answers the phone. Or you have a person who's got PTSD who answers the phone who's on their last leg. I mean, come on, man. Hour number one of the Labor Show with J-Doc and Krause again. Special thanks to Darnell Davis and Wendell Young for kicking us off on this live show here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Uh, we're going to bring hour number one uh, to a close, uh, but don't touch that dial. We click over to the John Doherty Hour, hour number two of the live show. J-Doc, two good guests coming up. On hour number two, we're going to deal uh, with uh, the battle over voters' rights in Pennsylvania, and that extends nationally. And then we're going to get into a conversation with Dennis Hill, who is going to talk about my favorite event, the All-Star Labor Classic. In many ways, he is responsible for all of the talent that you see on an annual basis. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management.